Welcome to the Uncomfortable Conversations podcast, the untold stories of the Kundalini Yoga 3HO community. 3HO Kundalini Yoga community. My name is Guru Nishan, and I started this podcast for several reasons, because I was raised, born and raised in this community, and I always read the intentions at the beginning of every episode. So number one, to break the veil of silence that is long permeated and continues to strangle the 3HO Kudalini Yoga community in the name of neutrality. Number two, to validate and help clarify the complex feelings of those who have joined this lifestyle, were born and raised into it, and or who have practiced or taught Kundalini Yoga. Number three, to encourage active listening to uncomfortable conversations from our community as a revolutionary act of self and collective healing. Number four, to let survivors know that we see them, we believe them, we love them, and we will fight for their truth to be addressed. Number five, to let teachers who are denying, gaslighting, or spiritually bypassing know that what they are doing is willfully ignorant and re-traumatizing victims. Number six, to illuminate the inherent racism, homophobia, cultural appropriation, and exploitation that perpetuates the teachings, 3HO lifestyle, and the overall community ethos. Number seven, to stop the perpetuation of gaslighting and victim shaming by naming it for what it is. Number eight, to dismantle internalized shame, guilt, toxic positivity, and light washing mentality. Number nine, to honor all of the parts of ourselves that have been forgotten or silenced. Number 10, to honor each and every body that has come through our community, both named and unnamed. Number 11, to encourage people to do their own research process their own emotions, to get somatic therapy and other therapy and support as needed, to draw your own conclusions, and to be critical thinkers rather than to just blindly follow anyone. Please remember that your story matters. Please share it when you're ready. We're here to listen and to support you. On today's episode, I'd like to welcome our guest, Mira Harkrishan Khalsa. 
She was born in 2002 in the Los Angeles ashram. Her parents are Siriyatma Singh and Gobind Kar Khalsa. She attended summer solstice and Khalsa youth camp every year growing up. And in 2005, her family moved from Los Angeles to Nambe, New Mexico to be a part of the Española ashram and because her mother got a job at the ranch, Yogi Bhajan's main property. In 2019, her family moved from the Española community to Santa Barbara. In 2020, she decided to change her name to Mira. I want to welcome you to the Uncomfortable Conversations podcast, Mira. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> it's really a delight, you know, when you reached out several months ago and just shared your experience listening to the podcast. Definitely, definitely. But it was just it's so interesting because, like, because I'm so young and I grew up in a time when Yogi Bhajan wasn't really alive. Like, I've never even met him. And but it's interesting to see like the ways that um, I still grew up in his teachings, if that makes sense. It makes so much sense. And talking to you like that, like ripples through me like, wow, yeah, you're a child that never met YB. And yet you yep. get to have this lens that is very much permeated within the experience of the community. And his but response. yeah but definitely I feel that like as the time that I have grown up that it's just relaxed a lot compared to like you guys growing up because I was listening I think to one of the podcasts with you and another lady and you were saying how you had a like a huge issue like starting to wear pink for the first time <laughs> or something like that and like I grew up wearing pink and like different colors and stuff like that like, it, like my, growing up, like, my childhood was a lot, like, more relaxed compared to people in the 80s and stuff like that. What a good yeah. perspective. Thank you for bringing that up because it's so true. Like, the decades later, everything totally relaxed. Colors were already yeah, on. Definitely. Women were wearing turbans with their ears out and house oh, turbans, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like, I, I was even looking at, like, a lot of pictures of me at Gurdwara, and, like, at all of my, like, Bana was, like, different colors and stuff like that. It was never all white and stuff like that, but, yeah. Yeah, fascinating, fascinating. Um, mm -hmm. so, so tell us what, tell us how old you are. Tell us your year frame again. When okay, so right now I'm started. So right now I'm 19. I was born in 2002 in Los Angeles. And so I was born at a time when Yogi Bhajan was still alive. And so he was able to give me my name growing up, Har Christian. But I like when when I was born, he was right about to go into a surgery. I don't know what it was for because he was in really bad health at the time. But I know that there was like a boy who was born three days after me, probably Joe, and he had to wait like a month to get his name interesting because yeah because yb was in a surgery but i was able to get mine like right away mm -hmm. but also like it was so interesting because like um i think two years after i was born he died but even still like the people that were like i guess like didn't get named by him like it was still like very common to be like oh like well you weren't named by him so like oh like he missed out a bit or something like that that was like status yeah yeah, definitely. definitely. It had the naming formula hadn't been passed on yet. Yeah, yeah. Because also, like, 
we've all uh, so like me and other friends have talked about like the names that like Naringin I think that's his name <laughs> has given compared to like YV and we're like oh they're kind of weird like they're a little bit different <laughs> yeah you should give everybody perspective that's listening there was a uh you know, YB named everybody. So what Mira's discussing is that when some a child was born, then YB would get called, which we've heard in other podcasts. And of course, we know mm-hmm. in our community. But when he passed, I, you know, I don't know what happened in the community, but I, at some point, how long it took. Yeah. Well, and I mean, that... took over the formula. Of yeah, yeah. Form. And now, like, even if you go on 3HO's website, like, you can pay a certain amount and, like, get a name. So they've really, like, capitalized capitalized on that and that's really interesting because it would be a really interesting who would know what that story was from the time that he passed to when it became a marketing tool yeah even more so from yb having this naming formula to now naringin got this thing special formula passed to her and then they monetized on it and it's essentially cultural appropriation at its finest really yeah it really is and it's just like his well i don't know if they charge people in the community but because i know like now like if anyone like if i guess especially the yoga students if they want to get a name like they can just go on 3ho and get one if they pay if they pay money obviously (laughs) which is horrible right which is but i'm sure hopefully in the community people find their own unique ways to come up with their children's names yeah, yeah I <laughs> think the also like after <laughs> I think also after like YB died like some people didn't like I don't necessarily know too many like people but I think that there was one like woman in our community who named her son on her own but it couldn't I don't really know like, I get I don't because I don't really know like many of the new parents I guess so I don't ask them like oh where do you get your name for your kids well i'm guessing that the monetization of the names came through the yoga student direction because they carry that on and and they found a way obviously to pass that baton on to naringin again it would be interesting if anybody's listening and knows how this went down within the organizational um breakdown it would be an interesting uh podcast to have in the future but um let's keep oh, it yeah, pointed on you sis so keep going okay so sounds good you uh tell us where you want to go with this okay so i have notes about like my dad and then i can talk about my mom a bit so essentially like my dad he was born in los angeles in 1955 so he's of like the baby boomer generation and his parents were pretty like upper class. His dad has served in World War II. And so they were like, I in in one of my classes at university, I finally like kind of understood it. Like his parents wanted a simple life and then he wanted more in life. And so he went off to university at the University of Oregon. And so he took his first Kundalini yoga class like for his PE credit at university. And so it's like, and that, and and like, once he started to take that class, then he like got more into yoga. And then um, I think like he, my dad also told me about like the story of his first time meeting Yogi Bhajan. And I think like he went down to Los Angeles from Oregon after like taking a couple of yoga classes and he went to like this party in Los Angeles. I think it was at the gym at um, like right across from the ashram on Pico, like Pico Robertson area. 
Mm-hmm. And my dad was really, really worried about like if there was going to be enough food to eat at the like soiree or whatever it was. And then like Yogi Bhajan came in and my dad was expecting like a small Indian man, but he wasn't that. And then Yogi Bhajan came up to him and said like, did you have enough to eat son or something like that? So Yogi Bhajan like knew exactly what my dad was thinking even without like, without my dad telling him. But thinking like looking back at it now, I think my like Yogi Bhajan was probably just reading my dad's body language. (laughs) Yeah. Because he was a customs inspector. Classic. And so that's probably what it was because my dad was so blown away by this. I see. So this was like a big thing about like what got him connected. Like, wow, he knew what was going on inside yeah. of him. This is, this is my yeah. time, so to speak. Um, yeah. What year was this? Do you know? Oh, I don't know. With the years, I'm not very like clear, Just in general, do you know what, um, like when your he was? Were? He started university, I would say like roughly re- around like 1973, 19, like because that's when he was like 18. Um, and so I think he probably started to join the community around like 1973. Okay. Because also um, like after two years at the University of Oregon, he dropped out and he went to UCSB. And at UCSB, he met, like, another guy in 3HO, and they became, like, really good friends. And they still are really good friends. Jai Paul. Okay. Anyone who that is? And they kind of, like, they went to US, UCSB together, and they, like, practiced yoga, and they kind of, like, got more devoted together, I think. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's fine. I mean, you're just sharing some context about him. You can't tell your dad's yeah. story. Yeah. <laughs> and then... Context. Yeah, and then my mom, she was she was born in Canada, and her parents were, like, Dutch immigrants, and so they, like, fully lived through World War II, and then escaped from that, and, like, started their life in Canada, and my mom is, like, she's very private about her life when she was in her 20s, but I know that she ended up in the Vancouver ashram, and I don't know what I don't know how, but she just she did. And I think she started taking Kundalini yoga classes in university in Ontario. Mm. And then she got her name in Toronto. But I don't necessarily know the dates for that. But I also know that like my dad, he ended up back he lived in like the San Diego ashram for a bit, and then he lived in the LA ashram for a bit. And in the L.A. ashram, he was engaged to a woman for like a couple of years, but he never got married to her. I think her name was Hari Har. Interesting. Okay. And it was because like YB set it up or he set up the engagement, but they never got married. And then this man was visiting from Vancouver and I think he was a Punjabi guy. And he recommended to Yogi Bhajan that like my dad should marry my mom. He said, oh, you should marry Gobankar from Vancouver. And my dad thought that she was like Punjabi and he didn't want to necessarily marry like a Punjabi woman. But then like he found out that she was Canadian. And so he was like open to it. And so I think they met each other at the solstice in 1987 and they did like a day of tantric and then they got engaged and got married in December of 1987 on December 6th. Okay. And I remember my mom saying that she got married on that day specifically because it's like the day that they have like the six of the month Gurdwara um, for the attack on the Akal Tucket on, I think, June 6th in the 80s or something. 
Because, okay. yeah, because every year, like, growing up, there would be a good Bora on every sixth of the month. And so my mom wanted to have, like, those community times on her wedding anniversary. Gotcha. Okay, so this is how they joined. Uh, and did they, when they got married, did they move to L.A. then? Yeah, my mom, like, moved to L.A. My dad didn't move to Vancouver. And so they, like, lived and worked in L.A. for a while. Um, they worked for Yogi Bhajan. I think, like, for 10 years at least, like, they didn't get paid at all. And then um, they also had a woman who was living in their house with them for, like, 10 years, like, who didn't, and the woman didn't have to pay rent. It was because Yogi Bhajan said, said they had to do that, you know. <laughs> so anything he said, like, they had to do. And then um, I think, like, 10 years later, they had my sister in 1997. Okay yeah and that was my mom said that that's when when she started to get paid by Yogi Bhajan and everything like that and she my mom also worked as his driver for a bit in Los Angeles okay yeah and so your sister was born in 97 what's your sister's name serious and porn serious and porn okay and then um okay so then a few more years later you're born yeah in 2002 in Los Angeles again but then after, like, when my sister was born, the, the woman also moved out of the house, too. So she wasn't living there. And then also there was <laughs> there's another story that my dad, because my, my dad told me, like, a lot of stories about YB growing up. And, like, growing up, like, after I heard some of them, I was a little, like, okay, like, why would you let this man, like, tell you that a woman has to live with you guys rent-free for 10 years? That's just so controlling and kind of toxic. But I didn't really say this to them, but I just kind of thought it growing up. And then um, my dad was also telling me about like how he had a house party something or something like that in Los Angeles. And he tried to like not invite Yogi Bhajan, but then like Yogi Bhajan showed up anyway. And he's like, and my dad learned like, oh, you can't have a party without like inviting him or else he'll know because word just like spreads around or something like that. I see. <laughs> yeah. I think it was quite common for different people to live with different people for a long period yeah. of time, but especially if he sent them. So that would make sense. And yeah. I know that you're speaking to like now a context, like why would you have somebody live with you? Why would you, you know, rent free? Like it just doesn't have the same context, but it was just so yeah. common. Yeah. And my dad also lived in, I think an ashram before then. And I'm just like hearing stories about, and the ashrams and I'm like oh boy I can only imagine like so you're getting the stories like from this nostalgia point of view like your parents your dad reminiscing to you about the way it was oh, yeah. let me tell you about the ashram life right <laughs> oh yes oh yes and so I just kind of like you, you we just kind of like heard up we, we like everyone and and my like age group growing up like just heard stories about Yogi Bhajan but it's not like we ever really interacted with him yeah because also I was going to talk about like when I was at KYC um they would also tell like tell us what KYC is okay KYC is Kelsey Youth Camp and so essentially like every summer after like the summer solstice yoga festival which was like the giant yoga festival in New Mexico with like 2000 people. Most of them are yoga students coming to do tantric. 
I don't know how to really explain tantric, but we can try. And then Kalsa Youth Camp is just like the ca the camp after that, which is like an overnight camp for kids. And I went there growing up. And then I I also worked there like every year from my, from when I was like 12 to 17 as a guide. And um, were you a guide to the other children then in children's camp? Yeah, I, I was a guide to like the girls aged five to eight. Okay. Yeah. Fascinating. And um, it, yeah. No, keep going. Yeah, keep sharing. Okay, yeah, definitely. And um, so, yeah, like I grew up going to Kelsey Youth Camp when I was like a little girl. So I went there like every year. I started, I think I started going when I was five. And then um, when I was 11, I took like a little break. And then when I was 12, I was able to go back there and work every year like as a guide. Okay. And um, until like I was 17. And then when I was 18, like because of COVID, like I couldn't go back there, but I would have. Mm -hmm. So yeah. um, what you're saying is that like from your perspective, like growing up in it and stuff in general, it's like this huge yoga festival in New Mexico at the um, at the solstice site. But it's mm -hmm. a lot of yoga students. So it's, of course, everybody oh, yeah. in the community that comes from every ashram. But oh, it's yeah. a lot of yoga students that are all coming to do the three days of tantric and, you know, just to be there. Yeah. And yeah. like, I don't necessarily know if you agree with this, but like growing up, like I never thought like the, the yoga students were like a part of like 3HO, if that makes sense. I just want like, to share because I haven't been, yeah. in, it's such a different decade. I just want to hear what, okay. what it was like for you. Okay, sure. Because like growing up, like I would just kind of like hang out with my solstice kids and there would just be like many like, I guess like yoga students, if you could call them, who would like do kundalini yoga like outside of 3HO. But we never really like thought of them as like Sikh Sikhs because like they were only really there for like the yoga festival as aspect part of it. Like for example, like most of them would just like come to morning sadhana and then they would like leave for Gurdwara. And so we didn't like necessarily like view them as like a part of our community or like that's at least what I viewed, sure. what I thought. Yeah. So, yeah. and solstice is fun. I mean, every summer you get to oh, go, God, you get to see so all your friends fun. from around the world, right? Tell us about the experience of it. Okay. Yeah. I would, I, I would love to. So essentially like I've been to solstice like literally every year of my life since I was a baby because my, my parents took me every year of my life. And so like growing up, going to Solstice, I always loved it because I was able to see like my 3HO friends from like Los Angeles and like New Mexico and all like different parts of the US like at that time every year. And also like one of the reasons why I also really like Solstice is because like I didn't feel the need to like hide who I was because at like my elementary school growing up, like I was never like fully truthful about like my religion and my background. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So meaning growing up like in Los Angeles and then later and on in New Mexico, Mexico, right? So you're yeah. basically saying growing up, you went to public school, so you never got a well, really ever felt. I, I've never been to public school. I've always been to like private school. Okay. But um, like, at my private school, like for elementary school growing up, like it wasn't, I didn't necessarily feel the need to like fully hide myself because like the, the kids there knew that I wore a head covering. They knew that I was Sikh, but they didn't like necessarily fully understand it. And I didn't fully understand it. So I wasn't fully like truthful with them. 
And then when I was in grade seven, I went to a boarding school in Canada for a couple years. And there, like, I, like, never wore a head covering. I never talked about my religion. Like, I didn't really want people to know, like, what was going on, like, at home. Mm-hmm. Just because it was, it's it's so different. And, like, none of the people there were really, like, because ex- in New Mexico, like, because I was going to elementary school in New Mexico, like, I feel like at that point, like, enough people in New Mexico knew that there was, like, a giant, like, Sikh community. Because there's, like, other, like, Sikh people in New Mexico that, like, people from my, like, class knew and they weren't necessarily Sikh. And so they weren't necessarily, like, bullying me for being Sikh. They knew, like, they understood it. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was also, like, listening to podcasts of, like, students in the 80s who, like, had to go to public school in Espanola and had, like, horrible experiences. But, like, I never had that with, like, my school in Espanola because, like, they had, like, already known and, like, accepted us at that point. Right. But then you're also speaking to the fact that when you went to a different public school somewhere else, you didn't necessarily mm-hmm. work urban. You didn't necessarily identify as those things because yeah. what I'm hearing you say is that within you, you were confused enough on how to explain it, much less validated and and have a stance on it you didn't go to school in india so was that an element to it was like you didn't feel like yeah that was also like an element to it and also like when people ask me like where'd you get your name from like i was never completely honest about it i would say like oh like my parents gave me it from india because they liked it or something like that oh classic yeah tell us why tell us about that like, just because I, I just got so tired of people asking me, like, your name is so beautiful. Like, where does it come from? And I'm just like, Ugh. so I just like my go to line was like, it, it's from India and my parents liked it. That's why they named me it. Yeah. So you're and just I, talking about simple story because you just don't yeah, want to explain it. Yeah. Because like I, and like I never told people like it wasn't my parents who named me. It was this other guy who named me. <laughs> And like some pe- sometimes like people would ask me like the meaning of my name. I told some people like I told some people and I would like tell some other people like, oh, I forgot the meaning of it or something like that. Because the meaning that Yogi Budget gave me was, was that it means the princess who is God herself. Her Christian. But like some for some people, like I, t- I thought like, oh, I shouldn't tell them or I like, so it just. It all depended how I felt and how I felt about the person. But for the most part, like growing up, like I wasn't necessarily truthful about my identity. Sure. Um, It sounds like just depending on the environment that you were in. Yeah. What you were saying was that when you were in Solstice, when you were at Solstice, it was like finally you felt like you belonged and it was easy to just be yourself. And you felt like, yeah, like everyone knew, like everyone there was from like the 3HO community. Everyone there already knew like my name. And so it wasn't like I had to explain anything to anyone. So it was like, it was, it was a really fun time and I love Solstice. And so like I um, would go to Solstice like every year um and then like I would because also like I think that in the 80s and stuff like that like growing up they didn't have like that great of activities for the kids but like now they have like really really good activities for the kids so like growing up like I did all this fun stuff with solstice like we would go like to the ropes course like raft like rafting going like to the Chavez center and all this stuff so it was like it was like a children's camp like it was a lot of fun yeah 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Much less you see all your friends from all over the world that all come. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, we're talking about cool, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. So, and then you obviously got to be a guide, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. I did that too. So it's like, that's quite common, right? Oh my God. Oh, that's so funny. But it was interesting because, so like, basically like, um, I started to notice that like when I, so okay let's also put this into context like my grandfather um i think i already told you this before like he wasn't in 3ho and like none of my grandparents or or extended family like was ever in 3ho so like growing up like i had like so much of an influence to like other and exposure to other types of cultures other than 3ho when i would like go see my family for holidays and stuff like that and my grandfather he was the one who would like pay for my education growing up and he like never wanted me to go to mpa because he knew he knew about 3ho and he had never approved of my dad's lifestyle and so he had never like allowed me to go to mpa and my parents like knew somewhat about the bullying there and they knew that like mpa doesn't necessarily like set people up for a college education so they never like forced me to go to go there but like, I didn't really want to tell people this, like who, who would ask me like, why don't you go to MPA? So I would just be like, oh, like, it's hard. You mean your friends that were going? Yeah, because I started to especially know that like, notice that like when I stopped, how do I say this? Like when I went to my other boarding school in Canada and then when like a lot of like the 3HO kids growing up, like when they all like went to MPA, like I wasn't necessarily like friends with them anymore at Solstice. And like when I would go back to Solstice, I would hang out with a lot of like the yoga students kids. Oh, wow. Who, who weren't like in 3HO. Yeah. Oh, and how come? Is that because you just didn't go? So you didn't click with like, them? It was just that like the people coming from, they would also like, so, like, I knew some of the people in um, 3HO, like, coming back from MPA, like, especially, like, the people that I grew up with, but I didn't know, like, a lot of, like, the people that were coming from MPA, especially, like, the foreigners um, who are coming from Europe and, like, other parts of the world, and so I just didn't know them, I just didn't have the experiences, and so they were just, we just didn't have much in common anymore, and so I, like, it kind of, like, I just kind of, like, like, naturally the distance mm-hmm. grew. but but it's not like I blame them or anything like that like I it was just kind of what started happening in terms of friend groups yeah Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. um so you're saying the yoga students who would be the regulars coming to solstice year 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 yeah yeah yeah. those kids would be coming back year after year and you yeah yeah have those friendships and relationships yeah like I started to become closer friends with them Mm-hmm. Which makes mm-hmm. sense because you're having more similar experiences of probably being, quote, conscious and going to school, right? And you're not. And plus, like, I was going to, like, all American schools and they were going to, well, not, like, American schools, but, like, Canadian schools. So it was, like, it was very, it's much more, I just had more in common, in common with experiences. them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also, I wanted to say that, like, even growing up, like, my parents were like first generation but they waited but since they waited like so long to have kids like they're kind of older parents if you may say mm-hmm. but like a lot of the people or a lot of the kids right now in like 3HO like they're all like third generation already like their parents went to MPA 
that kind of stuff, that kind of stuff. Their grandparents are in 3HO. You're talking about your peers. Yeah. Have that to be the case. But that, yeah, but in this me, case, your parents were the first gen, quote, first generation. Yeah. They just, yeah, exactly. That makes sense. So you're mm -hmm. saying your peers, their parents were born in 3HO, went to MPA or went to the school in India. They're several generations in, even though that's not your story with your parents. Yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah, it, it, really, it really is. And so, like, growing up, I kind of did also feel like it's okay. Like, I, it's not that I'm mad about it at all, especially, like, with what's going on in New Mexico now, like, with Siri Altma. Like, I love her so much. And I'm so, like. Let's send a blessing. I know. To her family and everyone. Siri Definitely. And, and she was your friend. She was. She was a sister and, and daughter. She and really daughter. was. And, she really was and like it really like it really affected me hearing about her because yeah. I was I was very like close with her before like she went before we went to boarding school like growing up we were both very close mm. we both have a story of us like at Kelsey youth camp where <laughs> where like I don't even know how she got away with this, but we both like decided that we didn't want to go to like Sadna or Gurdwara. And so she went to like the bat, we went to the bathroom together and we were just hanging out. And I think I got nervous at a point. So I left, but she was in the bathroom for like all of Sadna, Gurdwara and then breakfast. So she missed breakfast and no one noticed. <laughs> but it's so interesting because like, I like when I was 12 I started to be like a junior guide in training and like we literally watched those girls so much now and so I don't so Siratma would like never be able to get away with that now so it's, it was just so funny yeah. you're saying you as a guide you watched all your young ladies so much more than those who were watching over you ladies oh yeah 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 <laughs> like it got much more strict when like I was a guide compared to like when I was a camper <laughs> nice reflection yeah but also like um when I would be a guide like so a lot of like the like MPA people that I grew up with like a lot of them didn't want to come to work at like KYC to be a guide because it was a lot of like stress and like time pressure and like you're not getting much sleep because they were already at like MPA for the entire year so they wanted that time to like relax. So most of all, like I would be like working at um, KYC with a lot of like, it was like a norm for kind of to have like the MPA graduates to work at KYC that summer. But it was like kind of interesting because I wanted to just stress that I've been a camper literally since I was five years old, but still like I felt like I was treated like I was more like inferior than like the MPA graduates who had like never been to KYC before just because I didn't go to MPA. Mm, yeah. So there was, yeah. you're, what you're saying is there was this like internal ethos that you weren't as special because you weren't among this group that had graduated from or attending. MPA. Yeah. Because it's also like, um, I think at KYC, like even now, like it was really much a camp that prepares you for MPA or like, they're like, they're kind of like, oh, like we're sending you to this camp in hopes that you guys go to like MPA when you're older or something like that. 
Whoa. So you're yeah. saying that it was like a part of the, the training system built into yeah. ending the, um, and so yoga students eventually would have their children go too, so to speak. Yeah. To, to KYC. But it was, and it was interesting because also like sometimes like some MPA students would like come up to me and be like, oh, why didn't you go there? And I would just be like, oh, I, I didn't, I never knew what to say. That was a problem. I never knew what to say. Mm. Yeah. But you, you later found out it was because your grandfather had put a stipulation that he well, would like, pay for it. If, I, if... Like I knew, I knew that, but I didn't want to necessarily tell them that. So you did know that the stipulation was your fa your grandfather was paying for your schooling as long as it wasn't there. Yeah, like I knew that, but I didn't necessarily want to. Cause I feel like it was too like complicated to explain to some people about that. So I didn't want to like, so I, I don't necessarily know what I would say or yeah. Yeah, I mean, what would you say? That's a real family internal thing. It's not necessarily that you just spew anywhere, mm -hmm. but even the fact that you were aware of it is interesting to me. Yeah, and even like at KYC, I remember there was like one guy, I think who told me, he was like asking me like, why didn't you go to MPA? Because he went there for one year, but he didn't like it. So, but he said like, oh, everyone in our community should go to MPA even if they don't like it. And I was like, okay, interesting totally interesting yeah i don't know why like we should go to a school for one year even if we're supposed to hate it but. what i hear you sharing quite a bit is that you know that the overall um remembrance of growing up as was that there was this kind of direction that that was kind of the thing to do and then over time when that wasn't what you did then the relationships shifted but you still had good and deep relationships from the growing up years but it just kind of as the boarding school years just like in any adolescent years so to speak relationships can shift yeah um, but that but, there was a distinct energy around if you were the the among this special group or not yeah, because also, like, at Solstice and stuff like that, like, people, like, from MPA, like, are always treated, like, really, really well, if you notice, like, because like, there's, like, the MPA night where, like, they have, they have, like, the, I think you talked about it in a previous podcast at Solstice where they have, like, the demonstration to get everyone to go there, and it's always, like, really impressive, and usually, like, after that, like, even, like, some people are like, oh, that would be fun for a year. Like even like so many people are drawn into it. Yeah. Yeah. The, the mystique and the, I think it was just so beautifully well done and, and I've haven't been to solstice Mira. So I really like to hear okay. your experience of, of your experience there. Cause the more we can okay. hear your experience, the more fascinating it is. I okay. only know my experience at the European Yoga Festival, and I feel very much the same way. I was like drawn in. It was so beautiful. Even just the the persona of our youth oh, yeah. was really powerful and potent. And so it's made it's cracked me open over the last year to really witness the incredible amount of locked up pain inside because these stories haven't had a space to be shared. Yeah. It doesn't mean that there's not actually good experiences, but when we're having such the projected persona and inside we're holding on like, whoa, that blew my mind because 
I know what you're talking about. Like they, they would have the MPA night and they would do these amazing demonstrations. Oh, yeah. Kind of this radiance that these young but, men and women yeah. held. And yet then to hear the stories of what's actually happening kind of oh, was yeah, really yeah. hard. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if you, I think if like he, I listened to Jimena's story and I was like, oh my goodness, hearing about that. Because she worked at MPA. Um, but I just even mean like, like your experience of being okay yeah you and having yeah. that around you you know and, and what you had like like you know watching well, NBA always, nights like, every year your whole life yeah literally <laughs> every year but every year like I always got like really entranced and I kind of did wish that I was up there but then like after solstice I knew like oh like I shouldn't go like it kind of ended for you like it's it's very much a temporary feeling for a lot of people because then I knew like oh, okay like no I have to go back to my normal life and get like my education for university which is what I did and um even just thinking about it now like there was um at solstice like there was like at every event like literally every event like there was incorporated like MPA thing like the international party like probably the Gudwara the peace prayer day they had like the dancing and then like the torch run where everyone walks runs up to the solstice site and then they have like like they have mpa students like leading sadhanas like i don't know like every day but like some days that they're there and like leading tantric exercises and like a lot of solstice is like focused around like mpa and like showing off like the students from mpa yeah yeah, I, I think that it, they probably have a beautiful marketing plan. They do, because I think they are. Well. And also, um, they, added this re they added this recently, like when I was a camper, they, they added in like a day. Okay, because like when you're, once you get to like the teens program at Solstice, like basically like you only have to do one day, like focus to Kundalini Yoga which is like your day of tantric, but every other day is like fun activity. So solstice is like really fun for like kids. And then um, I think when I was like 16 or 17, they added in like a day where you had to do like MPA day at the ranch where like all the like kid, all the teens would like go down to the ranch and they would like have like, they would like essentially like show us what MPA was like in order to get like people from solstice to go to MPA. Right. Yeah. Because it's a great pool. All the yoga students have their kids there and all the people from around the world who are participating in Kundalini Yoga, 3HO or Sikh Dharma at any level that are coming in that have their youth there. It's it's a huge pool to reach, so to speak. Yeah, definitely. Fascinating. Mm hmm. Yeah, it really, I guess it, it is really interesting to think about it now. But then, like, once I got to when I was, I think, 17, like, I knew that that day was there. And then I'm like, no, I'm just going to ditch it. <laughs> I'm not going to go to MPA anyway. <laughs> yeah. And then also, like, it was funny because at Solstice, like, like, people, especially in my, like, age group, I don't know if I should say this, but we were really, like, economical at like paying for solstice events without actually without actually like paying for them because we feel like since we're part of the community like it's kind of like our right to be there <laughs> if you know but and then like <laughs> and so what I, so like for example like a lot of like 
people would just like not pay to go into tantric and they would just like wait until like they don't check like their badges and just like go in and stuff like that like no like people part of like 3ho like not necessarily the yoga students yeah not the yoga students you're talking right now about people that are like born and raised in three living in the ashrams and like basically kind of this this knowing like hey this is our ashram and you think you're going to charge us to do the thing that's happening in our life yeah yeah. exactly and then also like my mom since she would she would work for um she worked for one of like the companies so she every year she got a free soul so she literally just gave her badge to me (laughs) Every year she gets a free soul. Um, so let's pause here and like really explain for those that don't know the the rates and the costs. What you're basically saying is that when someone goes to, to solstice, do you know the cost by chance? Um, I don't necessarily know the cost because it's like different for your age group and for your. But let's um, say around 500. But, there's a no, couple but it's like, I think like it's it's like 800 if you're going like alone as an adult. I OK, so like an $800 price range. So if you're an adult single around 800, there's probably like a double price of a, a little uh, over a thousand for a couple, a couple. Right. And then there's like mm-hmm. a youth rate and then there's like a toddler rate or something. right? And then there's also like a day pass rate and stuff like that and there's also like a rate if you want to do like white tantric yoga because you have to like white tantric yoga is like mainly what people are paying for because I think like events like peace prayer day are free um but um so basically people are paying for the days of tantric and so they have the badge uh, they have the wristbands and what you're saying is like okay they, you know, after they don't check you know there were certain people that would yeah, go like because and and young people if you wanted to take it oftentimes that's why you would be a youth camp lead right so that you could get free um solstice oh, yeah, yeah. right yeah yeah like they also had so many like at solstice they had so many like work programs where you could like work for free in order to like get like a free solstice but even like when I was working at 3HO uh, um, KYC like um, I was being paid like I didn't do it to exchange my solstice but like they really don't pay you much especially for how much you're working got it okay so you didn't do an exchange because you always got it because your mom was working there right yeah no no no. yeah but like it was also like (laughs) I kind of also got like a little bit of like status because of my mom's work growing up. So some like there was one year where I didn't go to solstice, but I like went with a family friend to go register and I really wanted like a tantric bag and like the guy like wouldn't let wouldn't give one to her for me. And so she told tells him like her mother uh, her mother like built this site. So you better give it to her. And so he's like, okay, like I'm not looking just take one or something like that. But like yeah so like I would definitely use my mom to get like more status at solstice and stuff like that and especially like if I didn't get like what I want or something like that I would be like okay well I'll just like tell my mom about this or something like that because she was also my mom's also kind of scary classic okay on that note tell us why uh what your mom did for work why'd you move you moved to New Mexico what was your mom doing for work Okay, yeah. So we moved to New Mexico in 2005 because my mom was working for LYF, which stands for Legacy of Yogi G Foundation. And essentially, like that company just focuses on all the properties that he had in New Mexico and in Los Angeles. And so she was like the property manager of all the like 
um, I think, yeah, so all the properties in New Mexico and in Los Angeles. So the ranch, um, RDP, which is like the, the site for Solstice, and then the Gurdwara, and then like the Secretariat, and some of like the different um, other residences in Los Angeles. And so like, that's what tell, she did. Tell us the yeah. name of that company again. Um, LYF, Legacy of Yogi G Foundation. Legacy of Yogi G Foundation, which basically whole is the, the, over, the manager that oversees all the properties from LA into New yeah. Mexico and, and any other ones under this, under this uh, umbrella. But I also want to say that like my mom will, I'm probably not going to get this like fully correct, but from what I got growing up, like she was never treated well in her job in her job. And many people didn't like her because of how well she would do her job. Yeah. And so actually, like, um, I think like a couple years before we moved out of New Mexico, like she was completely like reassigned, if that makes sense. And she was given on the task of like doing the archives of Yogi Bhajans. And she was like taken away from the properties, which is what she actually really liked and given the archives. So then she had to like, um, but she was actually really good at that too. So, so, so what she did was like, she completely went to the community college in Santa Fe and she got like the skills needed to become a photographer in order to take the pictures of Yogi Bhajans stuff, like, all of his stuff. He had so much stuff. I cannot okay, like the pause. So you're saying she went from being taking care of the properties when you first moved there to being yeah. in charge of quote the archives. That means yeah. all of the things that were ever given to him and all of the belongings. Yes. So go ahead. So he she's taking pictures of all of it as a part of her job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like taking like she so essentially like she had to go to the community college but she did it like she went to the community college and learned how to like do these skills in order to become like a photographer to take pictures of all of his of his stuff like I don't necessarily know like like he had so much stuff I don't necessarily name know where to some begin. of the things name some of the things like the okay so because because I like growing up also like my mom would let me come into the dome with her to work and to clean it sometimes and that the dome is where he like the slept. dome is where he slept, right? We yeah. hear a lot of stories. If you're listening to any of the survivor stories, you hear about the dome a lot, you know, if you mm -hmm. hear about... So, like, yeah, like, I've been into his bedroom a lot, too, like, just because that's where my mom worked. Okay. And so, and so, like, he had, like, a nice bedroom in the dome, and then he had, like, a huge... Okay, sorry. And then he had, like, a huge... Um bathroom which like with like a huge bathtub and then they have all of his clothes there in his closet and they're all dry cleaned and then you go you walk through like the hallway a bit and then in the hallway like all of his like spears and like sh shit is kind of like on the wall to be displayed and my mom took pictures of all of that and then you walk into his kitchen and there's just more stuff like I don't even know like what it is yes. like it's just stuff, but it's expensive. Yeah. Keep naming it. No, if you remember it, we want to hear it's, it. It's like spears and like weapons. And then there's like just different sculptures. And then you walk into the kitchen and then there's like the entrance and then you're in his living room. And then in his living room, I think there was like books, probably different artwork, more sculptures, just stuff. And then um, there's actually one summer 
it was the summer before my family moved um, out of New Mexico to Santa Barbara, where my mom was working in the archives, and it was before Solstice had started, and I was helping her, like, catalog all of Yogi Bhajan's coins. Wow. Yeah. But... (laughs) I also don't know if I should say this, but it's fine. But basically, like, my mom, since she was kind of, like, she knew that she was being, like, screwed over all these years in her work. She wanted to pay me, like, a good salary before she, like, quit her job, essentially. And so, like, she took, like, money from the donation bin in the dome and, like, gave me some of it in order to compensate me for my work. But it was, like, she paid me well, though like a good salary like I think it was like $20 per hour that I was working and and, but she kind of like saying there's um you're saying that um I'm just trying to get a picture here you're basically saying that the dome and all of his his clothing and all of his statues and all of his belongings and all of his jewelry and all of the gifts and anything that this is all still there well, I don't know about archiving. now, but like in, t- in 2019 it was. 2019 is not that long ago. So let's just pretend I'm talking about 2019, the last time. You're saying in 2019, all of this is how it was. And it's oh, yeah, kind of like yeah. preserved in time. And the, the legacy and the mythology that's story told through yeah. the yoga and, then, is, and so there's a donation box like kind of like a student can come and witness yb's dome and the space actually and no, like, no no like students aren't allowed in it okay so who yeah, yeah. like no because um essentially like i think only like people who kind of have like quote-unquote status in our community yeah so status like, I don't... three ho seek dharma meaning like they're a uh, uh, of the lifestyle um yes but i don't even think not necessarily even of the like the lifestyle because like um my mom was able to go in there because like it was like her job and so anyone that she like then invited in was like allowed to go in so like me and my sister or like me and my dad also and then um so anyone there who was like working at the dome was allowed to go in and i think also like sometimes like people were allowed to go in to meditate there but um i also know that there was every year like they would have like the kri teacher training stuff like that but they like those yoga students like were never allowed to go in the dome like like those people like like they like why would they go in the dome but i think that my mom she told me that she was doing this work because they wanted to make it into a museum or something like that i can imagine but but then but then she like but then she quit her job and she left. And so it's not like she's doing like my parents haven't been like doing the work for a couple of years. Yeah, but still so interesting because what I remember when I was teaching at a yoga studio in Chicago was that kind of like there was a real mystique when a student went to the New Mexico ashram and the things that they got to do and partic- you know there was a just a mystique that like stepping into like a kind of a portal in time and then the way that that the um it, that trainings and kind of yb was kind of painted in the in the persona that was getting created to create yeah. war you know so you're describing yeah, yeah. that quite well but as a kid growing up in it you're just kind of noticing it from the outside like oh God, yeah, yeah. interesting yeah definitely and also like growing up I kind of liked like having my mom 
work at the ranch because like when I, I could have like my friends like come over to the ranch and like we would go to the pool like my mom would let us do that all the time and like go to the pool with my friends and stuff like that like well like um Siratma and Sarah Joe um and so it was always like really nice that I had like a way to use the pool and stuff like that and but you're saying like any any family of the ashram couldn't necessarily do that there had to have been someone no. in some status you didn't necessarily like if you if you lived if, yeah if you lived like at the ranch you were able to use the pool but like not necessarily like any family could get into the ranch i don't know how it is now but also like sometimes there were exceptions if there was like an event or like a party at the ranch and so like everyone would come but like my mom would also just like have like me and like my friends just use the pool too. Mm -hmm. Like no worries about that. So, so tell us about the time in New Mexico. You had mentioned that, um, you know, she was working in the archives up until the time she decided to leave. Why, what was the overall kind of feeling and why did your family decide to leave New Mexico and go to um, Santa Barbara? Like my, my mom just really, really like didn't like her job. Um, anymore because she wasn't doing work that she felt like happy doing because she really really liked the properties I think but then like she got like completely like shut out of that and then like so was forced let's let's talk about that you had mentioned that she was doing her job too well so you're basically saying when she was doing her property work and she liked it and then who who made the change like who moved her out of that position you know I don't like because it was like I don't necessarily know. I think I heard some names growing up, but I think one of, I, I also don't remember like their names, but. You're basically like, just, saying when, when that happened though, she got shut out of that and just switched over and it was just kind of a, a sudden thing. Yeah. You had to just deal with it. There was not, she never really yeah. got a lot of explanation itself or she didn't necessarily share that with you. Well, well, I think like she did, but she also, because I heard some things, but it's also like she would talk with her friends sometimes like, after she was like when she was working in the archives and and like because she was still working at the ranch but she wasn't in part in, in charge of the property and she was saying like even like people coming to the ranch could notice that there was like a change in management because like the overall like atmosphere of the ranch isn't like as nice and inviting and taken care of hmm. when she wasn't that's that's what i mean when when i was saying like she did her job really well like she took care of the ranch really well and made it like presentable yeah and just so that listeners know i mean obviously you're a child growing up with that perspective you know yeah what, the internal things that was going on with her own work we have no idea and who, I, yeah. who the people were in charge at that time but just in general it fits the overall ethos of like there was a sudden change and she had to then be in a different position and then eventually oh, yeah. it was like she wasn't enjoying it long enough that she decided that your family would move so she could get different work yeah and i think i also wanted to stress that like there she was working with like another woman in our community and my mom had told me that like the woman was a little bit older than my mom but she said that like the woman had to continue like working for the archives even though she hated it and she was bad at it just because she needed the money mm. and she didn't because like I know that like why especially like in the 70s and 80s like a lot of those young people like since they weren't being paid like they never set up like retirement funds or anything like that so now they're just like completely like financially like imprisoned oh you're and, saying this older woman that has to keep working because she doesn't have any uh retirement benefits yeah 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 plenty plenty of people in that position yeah mm-hmm 
Yeah, which is really like, it, which is horrible. But it's but it's what YB did because he just didn't pay anyone, I guess. Yeah, and I think also just you know promised that the family that the fa- the quote family businesses would be left to the family, and yet there's a lot of children and and parents that built the organizations that don't have any benefit to any of the resources that are obviously being archived and yeah. making a tremendous amount of um, exponential. Yeah. And even like, um, and, okay, yeah. So like my mom, like, so she really, really like started to not like her work anymore. And then also like, there wasn't really anything that really like kept them in New Mexico because we were there for my mom's work. Like my sister and I, at that point, like we were both in boarding school or university. So we were never like home in the first place or we were only home for like three months out of the year. And so they never, they didn't really want to like live there anymore. And so we were like planning on moving to Toronto because that's where like I was going to school at the time. And then my mom has a lot of family there. And so we thought it was a good idea. But then like I decided to go to another school, another boarding school in Ojai, California. And so like my my family decided that it would be better if we like move not to Toronto because it's just cold and bad but and and but instead moved to Santa Barbara just because like that's all that's where my dad's family is from we had been there every year we love it and so nice we decided to move there but it was it was kind of like a long process of moving there and also like we couldn't like necessarily be truthful with people like that we were moving there because for example like I think there was one time like at Gurdwara or something where Hari G went, the the gem guy, he told my dad like, oh, I heard that you guys are moving to Santa Barbara. And then my dad goes like, oh, that's news to me or something like that. <laughs> like we did, we just didn't tell people. We were very like private about that. And, and is then, there a reason? Was there a reason you didn't want people to know? Um, I think it, it was because like, it was a lot of like talk. And um, I think that like, because I think it was also because of like some of the things that like people said to us before we leave we left New Mexico because like Hari G when like called up my dad and said like oh like the guru wants you to stay in New Mexico like you're not or something like that like you're not continuing doing like what the guru wants you to do or something like that Um, Uh, yeah so this is the gem guy this is the one the the chief protocol yeah yeah the one that he, he decided to let your dad know that that he wasn't following the guru's path and he should stay yeah when like when we were leaving to go to Santa Barbara and then also like there was another couple who had lived in New Mexico that like my parents were friends with like in 3HO in the earlier years Namkar and Siriatma and so they had moved to Santa Barbara like a couple years before us and they had also gotten shit for moving to Santa Barbara so like we just didn't want to I guess like get as much shit and then even I I also remember like hearing my mom say that like um like hearing or, or after like the news got out that we were moving to Santa Barbara like she was getting a phone call from like Siri Brosa or something and she's like no just like don't answer like she's just gonna like guilt you to not leave New Mexico like just don't do it or something like Siri that. Siri Brosa's uh, Sir Nankar's mom, no? I know. Right. Okay. So right and back to. Syriatma's family, um, bless yeah. your family, y'all. I know. So what I hear you talking about is um, 
just kind of internal community politics. Like, oh, it's yeah. kind of like too close to comfort when you live in a community. Everybody's say it, talking, trying to. And for those listeners that don't know, there's, you know, the self-proclaimed chief of protocol um, who had his name's Harry J. One, right? And he had um, a former he was the gem fraud back in the like 80s, 90s. And then there was another Harry G. One who was the toner bandit fraud. Um, yeah. And anyway, so these kind of our personas, kind of these big personas in these different communities and know that every ashram will have its own fair share of its own internal politics and the people that are kind of the haves and the have nots and the important people and the not important people and all of the people in between. And then the glue and the mesh that keeps those people together. And so these are just kind of like, she's, I think you're painting a, a pretty fine picture of like what it feels like when you're growing up in something like this. And it's just, we have this kind of inner lingo, but somebody from the outside will be like, what? So anybody who grew up in our community will kind of be like, oh yeah, yeah anyone I totally who grows up in mean. our community understands. <laughs> but yeah. And then even, okay. So then also like, there's more stories about like our house our, but about us moving to Santa Barbara. So essentially, like, our house was on the market, like, all of Solstice. But then, like, the people who were buying our house, like, decided, like, like a couple days before the house was supposed to sell, like, we don't want to buy it anymore. So they dropped out. And so, so many people sent us this message, like, oh, the series Sing Sub doesn't want you guys to live New leave New Mexico. It's, like, not your time. You haven't served enough or something. All this bullshit. But then essentially, like, my mom put the house back on the market and she like completely restaged it because we already had like a rental house in Santa Barbara so we thought like we're gonna go there if we paid for it already and my mom was able to sell the house for ten thousand dollars more than what we were originally selling it for so wow well I just want to put a note on that that this is really the power of group think and when one can kind of get susceptible to kind of like these lead personas and kind of like what happens in group community think we're like it's like, oh, that must be a sign. Oh, that must be Sir Sing Sub talking to you. Oh, that must be the guru. Oh, and that this happens everywhere in the world, right? Where people are trying to pull you into like whatever they want for you. And yet here your mom just makes a definitive decision. Well, thank you very much for that input. And I'm going to go ahead and put this back on the market and keep using my critical thinking skills because I'm deciding what I want for my family. Now, I don't know your mom and I don't know the, the thought process, but that's what that story rings true for they, me yeah they didn't like they didn't let anyone like tell them because, because it's also like the people who were buying our house like the first time they weren't a good fit that was also a huge part of it too and so like my mom didn't necessarily let like everyone in the community who'd been like oh like it's not your time to leave she didn't let that stop her she was like i'm still leaving well, and I want to point out that the, by this time, your parents are seasoned 3HOers. You know what I mean? They're not like new kids on the block. So it's like yeah. after all this amount of time, she has her own opinions. She's like, I don't need your opinion on this stuff. And and, then, and maybe has like a a bit of more of a independent thought stream when it comes to what she's deciding. Yeah, definitely. And also like that was also at the point where like – um it was at the point where I was the only one in my family who would go to the solstice celebrations every year. Like my dad and my mom like stopped going like when I was really young. Or oh, when you're I was, kidding. Yeah. Like when I was like a teenager, like I would just go on my own 
and some like they would just come up there like at night to sleep to like be in the tent with me or but then like there was some years where they would just have like family friends take care of me at solstice but like there was like a point where like they stopped going to solstice because they just didn't like it anymore yeah did so you they were very they, they were very much, why like, they just were over it like ta- like my dad didn't want to do tantric anymore my mom did tantric like some years or she would come up like or it was just like the experience is a lot for like older people as well because you're like camping in the woods you're like so he just wasn't interested and my dad also has like some issues with his shoulder and so like when he would do like some tantric exercises like some people would also like or or about like keeping his hands up like some people like because he had a soldier shoulder surgery when he was like um in his 20s or when he was a teenager like he physically like can't hold his arms up and I think like he got tired of people who would be like, like you can't, you're not doing the exercise properly if you're not holding the art. You're, yeah. So he got tired of that. <laughs> I don't need to hear what you have to say. I also want to say, let's just say out loud because it's miserable. It's hot as heck up at the solstice site, right? You're just, you're miserable. You're hot. It's dry. It's dusty. Yeah. So anyway, you know kudos to your parents for deciding what they wanted right but and then my mom she would like go to tantric like just to do it with her friends her girlfriends but i'm guessing that this is all after um this is all year yeah. way later after why yeah, but already like, passed. Yeah, yeah, like way way later yeah so all those years of course they were going every year yeah because like i was also talking about this with do you know Amr dave from chicago yeah oh yeah yeah shiva and uh shabbat's yeah yeah I talked to him a lot and we were saying like a lot of like the third gen's kids and 3HO like a lot of our, our lives are heavily influenced by our parents and like the way that they decide to raise us mm. and like what they decide to do versus like we understand that like for second gen people that's not necessarily the case because YB have just so much more of an influence in their lives because for us that's just simply not necessarily the case you mm. know yeah at least the next at least the influence is through the parents and their personas yeah. That yb yeah yeah but still have that yb thing happening in your lively in your upbringing but it's through the lens of the parents and the way they decided to raise yeah it's it's yeah it's through the lens of the parents because like my parents like my, mostly when i was involved in like 3ho events growing up it was like i would go to sunday Gudwara. And then I would go to summer solstice. And then when I went to boarding school, I would just go to summer solstice. And then that was literally it. Like that was my only involvement in 3HO. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. But Except, still, like, well, you have a lot of connections and relationships and a yeah. whole world view that probably is more 3HO and YB lensed than you imagined, which we talked a little bit about. Yes. So we're oh, about yes. to bring that full circle here because I find that really interesting as much as he didn't influence your life the ethos and the way that it's infiltrated into the consciousness and thought process around the world is very much um it has very much impacted you because Mm -hmm. the break of it all has impacted you oh yeah definitely definitely and also like the i want to stress like my parents and like other older members in the community sometimes like use YB's teachings to teach me if that makes sense so I can give an example like for for example 
when I was like in high school, I was going to go to Six Flags in California with like one of my family friends from 3HO in Los Angeles and like City Huddy. You know her? She's really, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if I know her unless she's my age that I know her. Um, no, she's like first gen, but essentially like she told me once, like I was wearing like short jean shorts and she's like, wow, like Yogi Bhajan would be absolutely like horrified if he saw what you were wearing and stuff like that. Like, it's just so unladylike, like you should go change or something like that. And I was just like, oh my God, I didn't know what to like do. And so like, I did go change, but she was kind of like slut shaming me for what I was wearing, but like, but also adding in like Yogi Bhajan. (laughs) Yeah, she used his name in the name of of making it publicly acceptable to shame you because of the way you're dressing. And so you did go change and then it was she like the guy? Is she the one taking you or what? Who was she? Well, she was like, she was, she wasn't the one who was taking me, but she was like coming with us. Who is she? She was an older adult? No, but she's, she's just like an older adult, adult in our community. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But she's just like very opinionated. Totally typical. Oh God, if she's listening to this now. We love you. No, but also like... (laughs) even like my mom telling me like she's told me like growing up like men rape girls so you really have to be like careful with what you wear and stuff like that she's told me that before and I can see like that is is also like from the teachings that Yogi Bhajan taught like I could see like how she gets her like viewpoint on that Mm. and then all another one is that there was enough like the other woman in our community who lives in Santa Barbara like I was having a conversation with her about like rape and sexual assault and she's like but I just don't believe that like men can like not go through with their urges if they have them like they just have to like go through with them like men just can't control their urges and I'm like yes they can who said this this was another lady in like a first gen lady in 3HO who lives in Santa Barbara oh my god yeah I'm just horrified I'm horrified yeah and I was telling her like that's not the case, like because but it's like it's so interesting because now I feel like I have to like reteach them. Good luck. Just because that I feel like they I feel like all of these women like my mom City Huddy and like the other lady in Santa Barbara like they all learn these things from Yogi Bhajan and they're trying to like teach them on me, but be- because of like of out external sources and stuff like that I've learned that this isn't true and so it's like hard to kind of like reteach them to my mom and to all these like I guess it is hard for like the first gen to like ex- realize that a lot of the stuff like or a lot of the stuff that they were learned like isn't true or it's very dated yeah that's putting it nicely that's putting it nicely um so bring us to present time so what happened in 2020 for you when prem like give lead us up to like when the big change your family moves to santa okay, barbara yeah. but lead us up to the 2020 shift because okay, you yeah. think that's a lens that's a now lens okay, not good. a year ago lens so essentially like in 2019 i was working at Kelsey youth camp and i was working with Amr dave and like some other guys and we were kind of like joking around like yeah like this is a cult like at, at KYC like in 2019 before all this shit came out we we're like doing here like this is yeah this is a cult 
we're like but we're like it's a good cult like it's not bad like there's a lot of like good teachings and there's a lot of like good people here so it's like but it's good but that, that's what I got got from it mm. and then like in 20 like I also remember hearing like being in the that was my senior year of high school and I was like in in that fall I was in the car with my mom and she was like on the phone with someone about like and there was like all this shit going down where she was like no the allegations that coming through like were not credible like why why are these people like talk like she was on the phone like but I was in the car but I I was just I was just supposed to listen like I wasn't supposed to say anything but she was talking about how like the allegations aren't credible or something because mm-hmm. like I think start stuff was like starting to come out and then in like March of 2020, I think that's when like Premka's book came out. And I think I started to like research a bit more. And that's also like when I started to move, that's when I moved home to like live with my parents because of COVID. So I was, and then um, like, I was just kind of like hanging out and like, I was like reading a bit more about 3HO. And, um, and then I also read like the Olive Branch report when it came out and I was like very like horrified. Yeah. And I thought that like when the Olive Branch reco- report came out, like, no, also like, how do I say this? Like, even when I was in high school, I knew that I wasn't going to like continue with the name like Hard Christian going into the future just because like I had never liked how it was so complicated and so hard to spell and pronounce because like so many other like of my friends in the community had like much simpler names or they were able to go by like Siri or something like that and so I was always like kind of like oh like why don't I have that you can't go by car (laughs) yeah no I don't don't like that either and so I never um I knew I was going to change it at some point but I just didn't know when and I remember when I was in 10th grade my family or my mom also my mom and my dad and I went to go visit like my aunt in Oregon and she told me that she changed her name from Carol to Corey or when she was in university she started to call herself like Corey instead of Carol and so she was like saying like oh like when you maybe like you should do that when you get to university or something like that and so I was like thinking about calling myself Chris because it's in Har Christian but then I went, but but then like I never went through with that, and it's also not me, so I'm glad I didn't go through with that. And then like before um, I started university in the summer of like 2020, I was like researching different names to try out and like what names would be good for me, because I just because like um, I was also stressed about like going to a new school and having to like I thought that like going to a new school would be like the best place to like tell everyone like my name is this instead of instead of having to tell like a whole bunch of like people that I already know like that of my new name sure yeah so this is all in 2020 yeah this is like in 20 yeah when I like start well like I started to kind of like think about it in 2018 and then like earlier right yeah yeah and then like in 2020 is when like I really acted on it Okay, so what happened in 2020 when you start, you read the AOB report, you started reading all the things, you started doing research, I just, you like, talking I just to your knew- parents? I mean, like, you pissed? No. What is well, your like, feeling like? What's happening there? Oh, I don't, I don't talk to my mom. <laughs> yeah, like, tell I us. My mom. I don't talk to my mom about this at all, but I talk to, like, my dad about it sometimes. Like, but not necessarily, like, a lot, because just because, like, I think where his perspective is now is, like, he 
I think he ex- he knows that it's just really like that the community that he that he joined wasn't necessarily what it what wasn't necessarily what he thought it was but I think it's way it's just too painful for him to like to to dive deep into that so he's not then he, has, he just kind of is holding well, I, don't, I actually don't know though because he did say that he started to go to a therapist because he, so he could I don't know though sure. but back, back then yeah back then like I asked him about the olive branch report and like I think my dad, he like, he adds a little bit of his side of the story where he kind of like was like, oh, like, but I don't know how accurate it is and like all this stuff. But he, he kind of like adds a little bit of like his, his side of the story because I also well, let me pause you. That- let me pause you because that doesn't really sound like his side of the story. It sounds like a bunch of people's sides of their story that are are sharing a very old narrative so I want to just mm-hmm. pause that and just ha- get us give us context. Are you basically saying that when you first heard about the quote, uh, your mom on the phone saying, you know, these are old, you know, unfounded allegations from that point when it got more and more, the AOB report came out, were your parents in this denial and not paying any attention or were they paying some attention and kind of uh questioning the credibility which yeah. obviously some people were which yeah, yeah. i just want to pause and just say it's not really questioning the credibility it's just a very old 80s narrative where anybody okay. that ever came out always got questioned but go ahead i'll explain okay so yeah when my mom was like on the phone i also wanted to believe that they weren't true like it was too hard for me to to believe that they were true so even then like i was kind of like oh like that didn't happen but then like as i started to dive deep more deeper into them i realized like yeah it's probably more likely than not that these all happened um my mom is much more like vocal and she cares much more about it than my dad does my dad like i think like when i was telling him about the A- aob report like he was just te- he was telling me that he didn't think it was like credible because he was telling me about like another person in the community who kind of like tested the AOB report to kind of like see if they would listen to their story but my dad just told me about it but it's not like he just told me that because that's just what he heard but he doesn't necessarily care enough to like go to AOB and like test their credibility and to like hire lawyers and stuff and to like discredit AOB that's more my mom she does want to she's not believing it and believing the credibility of that organization you're trying to say yeah, like my my dad, like he's he's in the '80s narrative, but he doesn't like care enough to act on it. But your mom's and fully I, in that. Yeah, like she's in the '80s narrative, and she like because also when I went home in December, she was like talking with her other friend about like how what they're doing at the AOB is like illegal. Yeah. Okay. So let's just pause here. I want people to have context because. Thank you for giving us the understanding of the position of where your parents were at, because a lot of people, quote, within the community kind of took this position in the sense that the the um, organization that the that that 
SSSC and all the body of companies within our uh, community hired was called the Olive Branch. And the Olive Branch, and the reason that organization got hired was because um, after the book came out by Pamela Dyson, the Premka book, then a flood of other testimonies of sexual assault, physical, sexual violation, uh, rape, and other situations started flooding the internet in this Facebook group. And this is back in March 2020. And then more and more, and these were young women. And I knew I was reading reports of people that I knew and I was blown away. And I remember as more and more of this came out, it blew my mind that there could be a bunch of people that, quote, didn't believe it. But then I realized, of course, they don't believe it because they haven't read what I've read. They're not reading this young woman I grew up with tell this story or another young woman that I grew up with tell this story or another young woman that I grew up with tell this story or another person from the 70s or the 80s or the 90s. So what happened was literally like this immediate blockade of this group of people that came out that said, I think they called themselves the Fair Investigation Group. And this still this yeah. group is still a very alive and well. And they basically, Gertarit and his wife, Jivan Jyoti, I think, uh, you know, they were like the original chancellor lawyers of YB and they kind of like added this credibility about why the investigation isn't of legal stature but the point was is it's not a it wasn't a legal investigation it was a chance for it wasn't, it wasn't ethics. legal in the first place right well the point was is that it wasn't, wasn't like point it's not yeah, it wasn't not in, in the, the court of place. law it wasn't being persecuted so there was a whole thing around whether it was done whether this was done right the point I want listeners to hear is that AOB wasn't a, the solution anybody wanted. It was a flood of testimonies of our young women, our girls, children that were born in our community that were literally speaking their truth of being sexually violated over many, many years, many groomed and in 10 year periods of time plus. And it was so evident that there were multiple stories coming out at one time that SSSC, the Serious Sing Sub Corp, needed to take some action to try to do something because these young women are women from our community that were born yeah, and bred definitely. like me and you. But people like your parents just shut down. It was kind of like blinder city and just immediately kind of focused on whether or not the validity of the way this particular organization went about their business to collect testimonies was a right lawful way. That's not what's at question amongst our conversation because these are our women. These are our children. These are our, our, our children. You know, the ones we sing about and have had mantras about for decades to raise our children in pure consciousness and to find out that our own women and our own children were sexually groomed to be in concubine and have be mutilation of their own bodies because of situations that YB put them in. It, it was horrifying and horrible to it's, read. It's yeah, it, it was like, it, and, and that's also partly like, I think why I like when my, I first heard about like the allegations, like I didn't want to believe that they were true because it's more, it's easier to believe that they're not true than, than to actually go dive into them. 
Yeah, and I want to point out that, you know, when you're in the community, there is a, a very unconscious kind of survival response to say anybody who speaks bad or says X, it automatically isn't true. It's like a lizard brain response. That's not true. And yet young people generation, any one of us that read a particular testimony of another young person, like we knew this, these were our people. Yeah. And the, like the way that like I even told my dad that I read um, Premka's book and he's like, oh, like, why would you waste your money on that or something like that? Because um, he obviously like hadn't read it or heard like her side of the story at all. But what really like kind of like added to the validity of Premka's story was I think like I also read, I don't think her story is out to the public, but it was the one that's in the second gen Facebook group. The woman who was, I forget her name, but she was also another secretary. Same story, like different, like a couple years later, same shit. I was like, what? They probably never even like talked to each other, but they were telling each other like the same stuff on the paper. So how can you, like, how can two women who've like never met each other before, like lie about that? And the protocol, the things that were done, like each story, like that's what's so fascinating about reading the different ones was that the 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 grooming, the processes, the gaslighting, the 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 tendencies, the abuse, the shaving of the pubic hair, the other types of things. These things are the they're they're cookie cutter systems and they're happening to multiple women. Yeah, he didn't teach like women of our community that they should shave their pubic care, only like the women that he was sleeping with. Only the women he was controlling and abusing. And that's yeah. what I found so horrible about reading some of these yeah. stories was the amount of fear that I've held in my body around cutting my hair or making choices oh, around getting a Brazilian wax or a bikini wax or my legs or my underarm. The amount of conversations I had to have with my father to philosophize on why that was a, a choice of my own agency you know, even well into my adulthood to be able to make choices like having a hairstyle that's sexy or to make choices for sexiness is something that I wrestle. It's something that's in an indoctrination that's instilled in us from young. So to have that be a form of the abuse is so mortifying because it's so psych, it's so twisted. There's such a psycho twist around it. No. And there's so much like hypocrisy that even like now that I'm thinking about it growing up because like, okay, so literally, like, literally, like, okay, when we at KYC, like when we would go to the ranch, we would go to a tour and hear story like the kids would hear stories about Yogi Bhajan. And there was one about like, when he was really sick, and he was on a diet. Here, I'm just gonna grab my computer charger. Um, he was really sick. He was on a diet and he went to the movies and he because he wanted to get like popcorn or something. And, um, like, with his diet, he was only allowed to have, like, a little bit of popcorn, like, with salt, no chocolate, no M&Ms. But he was able to, like, convince one of the, like, little kids to, like, get the, like, movie theater to put, like, a lot of, like, M&Ms into the, into the um, popcorn. And so, like, during the movie, he would, like, eat, like, all, like, M&Ms during the popcorn like with the popcorn while he was like watching the movie and no one knew about it. But then also at KYZ, they told us this story about a, about a child who like didn't like the oatmeal growing up. 
at KYC. And so he told Yogi Bhajan that at the presentation and then Yogi Bhajan like didn't let this child have breakfast for like every day of the camp until like, in, in order to let this like child think about how like thankful he is for the food that he like has, even though like Yogi Bhajan can't even like eat his popcorn without chocolate. You're talking about the hypocrisy of the chocolate. Well, it's interesting, that story, because that story is told. I remember that story told in, you know, yoga classes. And it's like, again, it's this nostalgia story around, you know, the sick man who was actually like gluttonous and abusing and living in in hypocrisy, of course. But, you know, dying of diabetes and kidney issues and, you know, you know, aren't even publicly. And then the you know, the choices to paint him as this amazing I, yeah, I, knew that he was, I knew that he died of, like, diabetes, and I knew it was because he ate, like, shit. Yep, and sucking people's life force. Yeah, like, he wasn't a healthy person. <laughs> Yeah, so all this comes open. It's obvious you're starting to research. When you reached out to me, it was pretty evident that you were beginning to wrestle and look into things and read, and your parents weren't willing to, weren't going to, and you just just, decided to just move forward and just start. At least that's what your reach out to me was, and you were like, thank you for the podcast. They're really helping me research myself more. Yeah, definitely, because, like, um, well, I think it was, like, um, I started to see that your podcast had come out like when I came home for Christmas break in like 2020, 2021. And like I started listening to them a lot more. And it's just like, well, when I listen to some of them, not a lot of them, like I do like match with a lot of the feelings and I have like a lot of the same emotions. But it was also really interesting because I listened to, I think, Siri Neurongkar or series. It's, it's, it's just interesting because like, because I, I knew him I call him Siri Narankar, but you know him by Siri because he's the, no, no, he's the I father know, of I your know, friend, right? No, I know him by Siri Narankar too, but now oh. I know he goes by Siri. So I don't know, but because I know so many other series, like I know that's not specific enough. Yeah, at least when you're talking amongst us, you know, when we know what we're talking about. Yeah, it's about. not specific enough, but I listened to his story and I was like, oh my God, I never knew any of this. And then I listened to like Jimena's story. And it was also really interesting when I listened to hers because she was talking about like her experience in India yeah. and like growing, growing up. Like, I think she was, I think she was saying like, it was, it's just such a boys club there. So like when the incident did happen, like she just didn't have like anyone to go to, to talk about it. But like growing up, like I've heard from people like, oh, like th- that's because like the girl told Dion, like Dion doesn't know anything or something like that like what would she do like that's what I was told growing up by like other peers but like hearing it from like Jimena's side of the story like she literally didn't have anyone to tell so it was like really interesting like seeing like the difference whoa that's so fascinating you're just saying what your peers said why why would they tell Dion yeah but I think it's also because like she even mentioned like she didn't go to MPA and like like she kind of like well, she wasn't born into 3HO, but she kind of like joined it herself, I think. Yeah, yeah. But I think that's, but I think that's, no, but I think that's why, like, because she didn't like have that necessarily like status that she like went to MPA, that's probably why she wasn't like, as that, I think that's why they like made those comments against her and stuff Got like it. that. Yeah, like she didn't really have an in, in, right. Just, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. 
Mm-hmm. So interesting. Um, so tell us where you are now. Let us know. We heard the uh, the European siren go by. So you're obviously not yeah. in the United States. No, now I'm in um, in Switzerland. So essentially, like my sister went to university in Switzerland. She's like four and a half years older than me, like four years academically older than me. But she went to university in Switzerland. And then like with COVID, she told me like, you shouldn't um, go to UCSC and live at home and like do classes online. You should like come to Switzerland so you're able to like get away from our parents. Because we also like our parents, um, I don't know, like my sister and I like never, like once we were like 12, like we didn't, we were, we weren't living at our parents anymore because we went to boarding school. Because mm-hmm. so it's also interesting to see like um I know that like YB said like to send to the the kids to boarding school so they're able to get away from like their parents neurosis or something like that mm-hmm. um but like my parents they didn't send us to India but they still like send us to boarding school um yeah but but still like I think that boarding school was like a much better way of like growing up than like actually going to like and living with my parents so maybe like YB was right by like getting away from my parents well I mean there's a long history of of people making choices to send their children to boarding school so that's not the question but there are also at us boarding schools that have um you know the support systems and um, you know that really support the education as well as the mental health of of our children so oh yeah yeah it's also just a long again ethos of um, what I find so fascinating about kind of the generation of your parents, that first generation that's kind of still in the in the trenches of it, of the community, so to speak, is just how much kind of the ethos of the teachings do influence choices and kind of ways and views of life. And it's kind of like a bit of a non-engagement. It's kind of like engagement, but not, right? So it's like not paying, oh, just not look at that, you know, Um is that still the lens of, of where your parents are at with this? Or are they paying any more attention to some of the um, the stories? Like, I mean, even using the word allegations horrifies me because they're not allegations. They're survivor stories. Yeah. They're the courage of survivors to come forward and tell their abuse story without getting anything in return except for more abuse and more gaslighting and more neutrality-based spiritual bypassing that's actually horribly rooted in predatory behavior that's directly related to kundalini yoga 3ho teachings that they don't have to be we can unroot them from these teachings if more people will wake up and realize these are predator based practices based on gaslighting and victim shaming to not believe people coming forward with a courageous story to not even listen is a part of predatory behavior. It's a part of silence culture. It really, it really is. It really is. Um, yeah. My dad, like, I, I, I think he has gone through. Like, I, I think with him, like, it's more like, I guess, I could see him maybe like listening to sto- to stories, but with my mom is just like so. I, I have no idea if she would she because she's just all she's still in like that denier like she because she's actively like trying to like disprove the the claims so like I just because my, my dad just doesn't he doesn't care enough to do I guess either side of the story because also like 
My mom's literally a part of an active team trying to dismantle the credibility. I think it was like she was she was talking about it and she was agreeing with like the team that was trying to dismantle it. That's horrible. Yeah. I can't I even believe that there's a team. I mean, I do know there is a team, but like listeners, seriously, there's a team of people trying to discredit. And it's just so sad because one thing that I think rings r- loudly true when read the AOB report and all the other stories, whether it's the children or any other layer of, of story that we've heard, financial corruption and abuse and spiritual and psychological abuse, Um What's so evident is that reading, I mean, we're talking about maybe 35 women and then 10 that had like real specific similar stories about the sexual abuse. The stories that they sell are that they tell are so similar. But I mean, I'm just talking about that's just the AOB, right? They're so similar. It's pretty obvious. These are different people coming forward anonymously. And, you know, you don't even know who it is. It's very dry because it's like, you know, everyone's a number. But my point is, is I think anyone reading it that really takes that in realizes, wow, this isn't even close to half of of the women we know have been hurt. Like, this is a small portion of the 50 years of stories that have probably happened. And I was even telling my dad, cause he was like, oh no. And he was like, and, no, and I, I think I told him like, oh, it's not just like the allegations. It's not just the allegations. It's also the fact that like he stepped like, and my parents, like they were around this. They can't, it's not necessarily that they can deny it. Like it's the fact that like he forced parents to like s- swap like so kids with each other. It's, it's the fact that he like sent kids to, they also know about like the bullying that has gone on at MPA. So it's not like they, like it's the fact that there's like the bullying that goes on. That's like also like why, like we're talking out or we're, we're not just talking about like necessarily just Yogi Bhajan. We're talking about like all the things he did to like the community. Yeah. And when one's entrenched in a lifestyle, we have to just know that, you know, cognitive dissonance is real. So when something like comes up against like our rooted belief system and what we thought and the way we saw the world, that place of cognitive dissonance, somebody can spend their entire life in that place and hopefully get support to move beyond cognitive dissonance to realize, wow, what's in plain sight is right there, but it's cracking my whole code of the way that I see the world. And that's got to be hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we hold your parents up in the light and, and hopefully um, they have all the support they need to begin to pay attention. Yeah. But I thank you and your voice. I thank you and your willingness to be uncomfortable and speak out loud. And I know that you started writing about it and kind of doing presentations just to help break open your own self around like this, Cause, cause, this is a call yeah. and it's not a good one. There may be yeah. good parts, but it's not a good cult. Yeah, because because I also like some sometimes I tell people here like yeah like I was raised in a cult, but I can't necessarily like exp- or, and they're like tell me about it. I'm like okay, like where do I start? And so that is why like I made a presentation to kind of like guide my thinking about it. And because a lot of people at my university do want to listen to this podcast, I hope they do. <laughs> I also okay I. I also made a note here and I thought it'd be interesting to mention, it would be interesting to mention, but um, I also heard, like, I found out a bit about, like, Guru Dave and I found out that, like, I no, was actually- Pause. The- I don't know who you're talking about. You got a context to Guru Dave. There's lots of Guru Dave. No, no, no. 
the Guru Dave Sat Nam Rasayan. Got it. Thank you. Go okay. Ahead. Okay. I was the guide of his grandkids. Oh. For years. Okay. Okay. And you knew him then, or you didn't necessarily? Nope. No, I did not know him at all. Thank oh, goodness. Okay. But um, I knew his grandkids. And did you find out about his abuse, his predatory behavior, just from listening to the podcast, or did you? Yeah, just before? from listening to the podcast, and then um, listen. Like I think there was like his the mom's story, which I read like part of, not all of it. And you then Leah's uh, mom, Marina. Yeah, Marina's mom. Yeah, oh yeah, Marina. And then um, that's another the listening. woman that was abused that wrote an abuse story um, about from Guru Dave Singh then, over many years. And then I did listening listen to Olivia's podcast, and then that's that's I was daughter. looking, yeah. And then I looked at the Facebook comments of like someone asking how Guru Dave died because they thought he could have been because no because she she said that because. His time of death and the time and the time when his allegations came by were like too close together. Where she did she wondered if something happened to him. That's why she asked it. When I was reading the comments and I like found out who like his daughter was and I knew his daughter because I remember like she was a mom of like two kids that I had watched growing up. So I was like, oh god. Yeah, so for you, that's got to be trippy, right? You're like, oh my gosh, just like kind of like how your life unfolds and your connection to these things and yet distance and just kind of like piecing it all together. It's got to feel like a little puzzle piece-ish. Yeah, it really is. But yeah, so I would, so I just like, it, it kind of like blew my mind when I found out that like the gr- the grandfather of these like two kids who are so sweet and like innocent and like that's their grandfather I was like oh my god no yeah it's a very hard thing to um as we listen to these stories and we um hold our own family members that may or may not quote be paying attention and listening that even have horrible things to say like words like allegations or words like I'm not sure if I believe that like these are old language rooted in predatory um positioning that basically create an ethos around not paying attention to manipulation and abuse that has a long, long, long history. And this is why I call it the 80s narrative, because when these stories started coming out and I heard that that group existed, that there was a group of people, quote, uh, just full on denying it, 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 it was literally like I was eight years old and I was Again. 85, right? I was like 85. It was 1985. Oh, and Premka was leaving. And this was the narrative I remember playing out. Okay. So here it's spewed now in 2020 shows that there's just like this consciousness frozen in time. And anytime there's abuse that's spoken it's like people are reverted back to this kind of like hypnotized state of being in the mid 80s and yeah, not paying yeah. attention like the propaganda yeah, around it not paying attention at all and i was even looking at like our family friends like in facebook and she sent like uh she shared a post like and it was a post like supporting yogi bhajan and they're saying like and it was about this it was written by this one guy in 3ho in new mexico and he was saying like 
like oh, what was he saying he said that he used to work for the mission he said he used to work for the mission which is also very like cult-like to say in your paragraph because it's like okay you're already saying that you're like not like living your own life you're that you're like doing all you're living your life for this man and then they say that like oh like some women when they don't get what they want they that they would like lash out but it's like this is gaslighting 101 that's right out of gaslighting book yeah if you read premka's story like all she wanted was to like get married to a man like no literally to get married to a man i think that's what she wanted um i think was his name siri brahma Brahma? without even going into her story just hearing language like that is classic victim bashing language like watch any movie from the early 80s and this is the classic lingo it's called rape culture rape Mm -hmm. culture and what has happened is in our community rape culture has become so normalized and disguised as wise man talk so wise yoga teachers even women will have wise man talk and they'll talk to women as if they're men and no, we that's, do yeah. that we do that because we learned that we learned that because we learned that vulnerability in our community is not safe sharing how oh, yeah. you feel is not safe so we use this masculine persona of abuse and shame and whenever you hear that language if you have parents that are still in the community if you have friends or family that are still in the community and they're using this language it's not that helpful to fight it you just have to learn to recognize it better because it's classic gaslighting and there's there's language for gaslighting now there's whole therapy around narcissism and you can you can start learning the language so you can detect this stuff better because it's deeply deeply rooted in predatory manipulative behavior to control thinking and it, 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 this is why yoga students are susceptible when they come into our community because we have this wise man persona that permeates the teachings regardless of whether women or men are spewing this grace of God nonsense. Oh yes, oh yes, oh yes. And then I was also thinking that like the reason or so a lot of people ask me like, well, how would people get like involved in this community if you tell me like, how bad it is and I'm saying like it's very easy because like the yoga itself like when people do it like it doesn't it get people it gets people very like high and especially like when Yogi Bhajan would like teach in the past like it got people very like high and then like he would like teach his lectures and like brainwash all of them and they were all like following it just like that whole cycle of like the yoga the lectures the lecture yeah well, I mean, if you do extended, you know, certain breaths and the whole goal is to shoot out of your body into super consciousness and we're over activating our will. I mean, there's just certain things in a part of the, the formula that's quite deeply embedded. And it's important to also understand that even within, quote, the teachings, there are some neuroscientifically based things that when extracted from the predatory patterns that YB is infused into all of this, you know, can be neurobiologically helpful. But if we're not taking the time to break it apart and we're not seeing this 
formula that's all infused in it all it's it's um to me it feels very predatory in the marketing like i i i don't i don't like that there's a formula to kind of like wrap people into the ethos of Sikh Dharma, get a name, wear a turban, change, wear white, white. come into our special world. And you're not as special if you're not as like us. And you're more superior. Yeah. So it's like the spiritual superiority is sold. People, people like my friends even telling me like here, like they're like, yeah, you're kind of like a little bit self-centered and I'm like, but they, they understand that it's not that I do it naturally, but it's just because of like the way that like I grew up where I, where where we were told like, yes, you're very much more like superior because you have this like Kundalini yoga technology. Like I, we grew up with that. You remember that. You you remember growing up, and also my name means the princess who is God herself. <laughs> awesome! <laughs> like the name heard Christian, so I was just like, wow, yeah. Embody that name, sis. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's it's also funny because it's just all because it's like Yogi Bhajan talks about like. I remember growing up hearing like oh like everyone like it's not good to have a like a huge ego but like he had such a big ego yeah the contradictions is a a tough one I know that as we're unrooting the the complexity of what is good and not good and just all this stuff it can feel like a psychosomatic mind fuck is what it can feel like it can just feel like chaos inside and and i think that's just a part of it like it's like wow it's like right in plain sight it's like when the truth and the lies are in plain sight and and what happens internally unwinding that level of stuff just takes time so be compassionate with yourselves take the time keep listening keep speaking out loud do more research on cults it's very very helpful especially from an academic point of view i find that the academic reading on high demand groups Um, And the impact of being, say, a second generation or a child born into high demand groups, it's very helpful. Um, I I found to get perspective, and I know that this has supported you as we've engaged. Yeah, definitely. With my writing class at my uni, I've been um, doing some research about cults. And like, well, especially because I found that like with my writing, I'm much better if I'm more interested about it. And because I'm so interested about cults, it's like easier about for me to write about it. So I've just been like researching more about it. And I watched this Ted talk about like, why do people join cults and what is a cult? And I'm just like, when I'm watching it, it's just like, yes, this was a cult because we had a leader. There was an inner circle. You, everyone has to have like a high level of um, focus and what's, it, what's the word? Uh, focus and like, well, there's, the focus. Yeah. there's a whole checklist. So I highly just in, encourage everyone to go check it out themselves. But it's more than that. It's when certain choices of our life are dictated. And when we're growing up in something, we don't really understand the impact. But I know that a lot of listeners and a lot of people that may or may not be listening are going through the level of 
cognitive dissonance where it's like, even if you want to say, I don't believe that, you realize how much of your own psyche is still wrapped up into kind of an ethos of the way of being and living in the world. And just know that takes time. There are lots of us like myself or my brothers or different stages where people have been slowly leaving over years and leaving isn't the right word, but it's more like clearing the psyche of what it means to grow up this kind of thing. And it just does take time. So supporting the, um, but knowing a knowing cult language helps. And the other thing is also learning about gaslighting and learning about what these kind of languages are supports you to be dealing with, say, a loved one or a family member that might still be very much not paying attention to the stories of our own, of our own people. Um, yeah. And that's a hard thing because you can't make somebody listen and you can't make somebody change and you can't make yeah. somebody see, but you can do mm-hmm. your own work and your own unraveling and you can allow yourself to be um, penetrated, right? Yeah. To, to crack open enough to start remembering yourself. Yeah. Um, and a lot of like, uh, even now, I feel like I'm starting to learn more about it, like with some of the language that my mother texts me, because there was one thing that she um, texted me once, like, in, like a couple weeks ago, and it made me really, really upset because she was telling me like, stay in the light, be who you are. But, you know, she doesn't actually mean that. She means like, uh, like, you're kind of like straying a little bit off of like, the 3HO path and I can see it but I don't want you to do that so because she's kind of like that's what I that's what I interpreted it to be like because well and you get to then work that one out with your mom along the way (laughs) Uh, it's it's also really it's really interesting because like my dad's family was like never accepting of him becoming a Sikh but my mom's family was like so accept. It was it was like accepting of her, but like my dad, like when I'm t- when I told him like oh like I changed my name and I like got a haircut, he's like okay whatever. And are they <laughs> like, not together just- anymore? Or are they still together? No, no, they're still, they they're still okay. It's just yeah. different. Okay. Yeah, and then my mom was just like I I don't tell I did not I haven't told her I changed my name I haven't told her I cut my hair. Okay. I'm guessing they don't listen to this podcast, huh? <laughs> well, I'm hoping that they don't. Well, I hope they, yeah. I don't think they do. Well, more people are listening than I think we probably know. I Yeah, probably. So welcome all listeners. I want to just thank you for having the courage to kind of give us a lens into your process. I know that it can't be easy to be 19 and, and um, have all of this kind of crack open. And yet also, it also has to feel liberating simultaneously. It's like, wow, who am I in this big old sea? Because it also was like at a very, very like good time that it came out. Well, it was it was a little bit like convenient for me that like when the AOB report came out because it was like right before I started university. So I was like right able to like reinvent myself. That gave you a real definitive yeah. line at the end of what you knew yeah. to actually understand yeah. to be true. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, there are a lot more stories than we've heard, ladies and gentlemen. I'm telling you that. And um, more will be happening and, and be coming out. So I just, I really hope you're taking care of yourself because you can't, again, change other people or make other people listen or make other people see. But you can absolutely learn yourself um, and get more awareness within yourself about what it means to grow up in our community and what it means to interface with people that are using gaslighting language and victim bashing language as a way to define their stance. And this is not new. It happens in political arenas. It happens in religious organizations. It happens in companies and, and places all around the world. We're not unique, but when spirituality is used as a way to subjugate and manipulate and abuse, um, it's never good. And it's all of our responsibility to speak out and to um, and to educate ourselves about how our own consciousness and, might support it through our silence. And also, like thinking about it, just capitalizing on like especially like an innocent, I would say, like yoga students, because like you have to pay to get a name, you have to pay so much money for teacher training. It's it's a pyramid scheme, so. Well, it's just a very well operating business plan, that's for sure. And, you know, you can, you can change the face of the marketing machine and you can put people of color and black indigenous folks and you can start talking trauma and shadow healing language. And and I know there's really good people that work with KRI and 3HO and on all these boards. And yet it's also all firmly rooted and cemented in very, very entrenched predatory behavior with transparency not at the top of the list. And when we can really find out how much money is rolling through these organizations, it's by far larger than any one of us can wrap our heads around, which is why it's not an easy thing for SSSC or any of these orgs to actually address. Because like any yoga teacher out there, their income is firmly rooted in this marketing machine. And it is not a little piddly yoga program here or there. We are talking about serious bank and serious donations, serious amount of um, assets in the archives, lots and lots of assets. And as far as we're concerned, money needs to be compensated to the survivors and to the women that have been abused over decades. Yeah. Even, yeah, and it's sometimes, like, even some, it sometimes pisses me off, like, hearing my, I guess, like, older generation saying, like, oh, like, well, the survivors just want money. Okay, you don't want money either? You were, pay you worked, like, 10 years with no money paid. Why wouldn't you want to get, like, comp compensated either? Once again, it's not ever defending the thing they're saying. I want everyone just to remember, listen to this language, the languaging. Well, we can start learning the languaging of what gaslighting and victim shaming is. It's meant to put the fault back onto the person that got hurt. And mm -hmm. what that does is it automatically starts questioning our own sense of sanity. And when we yeah. are history, we have a long history of incestuous abuse, you know, family sexual abuse is much even harder and and our community is very family like you know you don't even have to be related for us to relate to each other as family so we have to really begin to understand that the complexity of the sexual abuse that has gone on whether it's among the children or among the women direct with yb or of any other yoga teacher is the incestuous nature of predatory abuse keeps us in silence because if our abuser is the father of a best friend of someone we know, 
these things aren't easy to ever let open and out and unravel because we all become unconsciously complicit. You know, our silence breeds more predatory behavior. And so this is why I'm pausing to speak to it, because it's so easy to use language like that to say, well, oh, they just want the money. You know, study rape and study history of sexual assault. You know, women that come forward, men that come forward. There are men that have been sexually abused and incested that can't come forward. There's not space and safety because this type of language is the ethos of our spiritual community. That's not safe. That's not compassion. That's not humanity. And we use spirituality to bypass humanity. And that's not okay. It really isn't. Even now, like, I I guess, like, when, you, when you're saying, like, if you're vulnerable in 3HO, like, that's really, really bad. And I've realized now, like, it's, it takes a lot for me to be vulnerable with people. Like, I have to really, really trust you. And this is long history of learned patterning. Our parents didn't have the safety to be vulnerable. Like, what are we going to grow up in? You know what I mean? It's like, they did the best they could to keep up with the chaos. I mean, it's, it's just, it's layers of traumatic impact and, so again, listeners, everyone, you know, make sure you're getting support. But under also, we have to get better at identifying language that's not that's not supporting breaking the silence. You know, it's really supporting do. it's supporting questioning the intent of somebody sharing their vulnerability. Like, you know what? Don't question somebody's intent when they're sharing the most vulnerable thing they'll probably ever speak. It's not your place to question their intent. Yeah. Just like you said, yeah, if they need money, bless them. But that's not the point, you know? Mm -hmm. And the fact that we're talking about so much abuse on so many different layers and levels, Mm -hmm. we don't notice our language does this. Our own language silences each other. But yeah, I kind of wanted to just point out that even like some of their arguments just don't make sense. Be like with the money thing, like no one was like, cause even like no one was paid. So yeah, it's, it's just horrible. Yeah. It's so many layers of horrible, but you know, what I've noticed is there tends to be kind of like a hierarchy of trauma language that goes on in our community. And it's kind of like, oh, well, nothing really. And it wasn't what happened to me wasn't that bad. I mean, yeah. and we, you know, we we use language because we actually don't even know how to hold or wrestle with our own experiences that are. That's even what I said to you, because I was like, when I first re- re- reached out to you, I was like, hi, like I grew up in 3HO, but like, since I didn't grow up with re- YV, like it wasn't that bad. Yeah, and it was interesting because you didn't reach out to me to say, I want to talk. You just reached out sharing your kind of your perspective. And then as the time went on, as you started unraveling more, you realized, wow, I mean, I have so many things I could share, but it's not like sharing, oh, this is what happened, but it's more like this is a, a lens into this experience and then this experience, and now you're seeing it differently. And that in and of itself is fascinating to hear. So this is why I thank you because there's not like this horrible thing that happened that you came to tell, but overall you're painting a picture about a worldview that has gotten pierced or the veil is coming down. And who are you as you float through time and space now? 
(laughs) (laughs) So it's courageous to do that. And it's also very vulnerable. And so you're practicing your vulnerability, you know, I think that's beautiful. I think it is too. Yeah. (laughs) But it it is, it it is really hard for me because like I, because sometimes it is because I had like a an issue like like who are like kind of like my close friends but I realize it's the people that I can be vulnerable with Mm. Mm. yeah Yeah. well I want to just say thank you for coming and of course thank you for having me um you know we're almost we're more than 20 years apart so it's just so cool i know such different decades and and to have a lot of similarities and and there's still stuff happening it's just like whoa that's weird yeah definitely but i also wanted to say too i i wanted to talk about how about um siriyama and like it's basically like i it's absolutely like i would i have like no words to say but um every night there's like a zoom call for her that well i didn't go tonight because i like, had this but <laughs> but i've gone like every night for her to do like a meditation for her but it, it but it's been like interesting because like some a lot of like the people who have gone to mpa like it's a time where like status doesn't necessarily matter anymore and so like I, now like it doesn't necessarily matter that I didn't go to MPA. Like they just know that I love and support Syriatma. And so like, I, I guess it's nice to like be, I get, cause they even invited me to like this other group text for a meditation um, each week. So it's like, it's in a way, like I've been kind of like invited back hmm. in a way because of Syriatma. It's um, always interesting how tragedy can do that, right? Can yeah. create space where we open up um, to but, allow difference. But I do think it is very beautiful. And I love how, like, even though, like, there's so much, like, stuff going on in our community. And even, like, within her family herself, like, I think that it's pretty divided. And our community is, like, so divided. But that we still, like, came all together to show, like, our love and support for her, which is really, really beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah. Our prayers go yeah. out to Sir Nirankar and Jiva and the parents of, of uh, Syriatma who recently got killed in a car accident. Love to everyone that um, is connected to, to this beautiful young woman and love to everyone listening. Thank you for that share. Um, anything less le- left that you'd like to share with listeners before we wrap up to your song? I don't think so. Yeah, I think we're good. All right. Well, let us know why you chose this song. Okay. So I was like deciding yesterday which song I should pick because I didn't really know. But then it ended up on my playlist and it just makes sense. But it's by Beyonce. It's called Listen. If you like listen to the lyrics, it makes really, it makes a lot of sense because she's essentially like mad. And like when she's making the song, I think she's mad at her boyfriend for like not listening to her about like her issues and stuff like that and um like and he's kind of like putting words into her mouth and so it's kind of like i think very similar to kind of what a lot of like the people who are trying to like tell their stories are saying and like the other like we're just wanting the first gen of people and the denier group to kind of like just listen to us but so yeah that's why i chose it thank you 
Yeah. All right. So we are listening to, um, because of copyright, we only listen to the first uh, few seconds of it. But you're always welcome to listen to the Uncomfortable Conversations playlist on Spotify. So here we go. Listening to Listen. To the song here in my heart A melody I start but can't complete Listen To the sound from deep within It's only beginning to find release Oh, the time has come for my dreams to be heard They will not be pushed aside and turned into your own All cause you won't listen Beautiful. So once again, listen to the Uncomfortable Conversations podcast playlist on Spotify. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. (laughs) You're welcome. And this concludes another episode of the Uncomfortable Conversations podcast, the untold stories of the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community. If you'd like to contribute to this broadcast, you can make a one-time or monthly donation at gurunishan.com slash uncomfortable conversations. Also, to be a guest on the podcast, please send me an email to gn at gurunishan.com. You can subscribe and follow and support my provocative truth-telling work at gurunishan.com as well. Thanks again for tuning in, and until next time, we'll talk to you on the next episode.